And、mm. I remember standing in the kitchen and yelling at him one day, saying, "My life matters, right?" But it wasn't him necessarily that I was saying that to. It was me that I was saying that to. But I didn't know how to matter to myself. Hello, beautiful beings. Welcome to Let's Create the Revolution Together, a podcast about creating new ways to embody ourselves as human. If you're here, you're probably well aware of all the shifts that are happening on our planet. Maybe you go with the flow with those changes, or maybe you're struggling to find who you truly are. Either way, this space right here is for you. My name is Marigold Era. I'm an Ayurvedic wellness coach, a spiritual life coach, and a podcaster. I am here to guide you through this reality that we can call the Earth School. I strongly believe that we are here to create new ways to show up as individual and as collective, and that every experience that we encounter is an opportunity to grow and evolve. So grab yourself something to drink, make yourself comfortable, and let's jump right into the next episode. Hey, you guys!、Um, as some of you may know, I'm a mother, and for the past 12 years of my life, I've been devoted to my own growth, so that I can actually help my kids evolve beyond their ancestral trauma. It was always very important to me to be conscious of my own triggers so that I don't put them over my kids. Lately, I've been so curious to hear about other mothers' experience—the highs, the low, and everything in between. I think that as mothers, it is so so crucial to be surrounded by other fantastic women so that we can actually support each other. So, if you're a mother, no matter what your situation is, so whether you're nesting or an empty nester, I want to invite you to a two-hour free focus group slash workshop on motherhood. It's gonna be on November 27th at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and it's completely free. So, if you feel called to join,、uh, please reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Marigold Era. And I'm gonna leave you to this amazing episode that we did. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, my beautiful beings. Welcome back to Let's Create the Revolution together. On today's episode, I'm thrilled to introduce you to a remarkable soul who has dedicated her life to helping others. Her name is Cheryl, and you can also call her the Cosmos Mystic. She is a beacon of insight, a channel of healing, a bridge between the seen. And the unseen, with a heart full of compassion and a spirit attuned to the mysteries of the universe, Cheryl is a psychic medium, a tarot reader, and an astrologer. Her readings are not mere predictions; they're profound connection to the hidden dimension that shape our lives. Her words resonate deep within, offering clarity, comfort, and a glimpse into the tapestry of your own journey. So, if this is something that resonates with you, I invite you to reach out to her on Instagram at Cheryl underscore the Cosmos Mystic. Her links are also in the description down below, so you can also just go ahead and click on those. So, the reason why I wanted to have Cheryl on the podcast about creating revolution is because、uh, her story wasn't always one of the 
the light path, right? So she's walked through her own shadow and she overcame the victim consciousness and now is emerging stronger and wiser and she's living this empowered life. And so her story is a testimonial on a way to create that revolution. There are like thousands of ways and she has one in her voice. And that's why I wanted to have her on the podcast. She's, she radiates, you know, the belief that we all possess the magic to rewrite our own stories and to embrace joy. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Here she is, Cheryl, the Cosmos Mystic. Hey, Cheryl. Hi, good morning. <laughs> Thank you so much. I, I feel like um, listening to your podcast, right? Um, the last girl, Alicia. Yes. Alicia. She, when she said, you know, was that me you're talking about? That's how I kind of feel, right? Like, <laughs> It's amazing to hear it from a different perspective. You know, we, we've, we've had the chance to talk privately about things. So hearing it from an outside perspective is very humbling and um, much gratitude for that, right? Much, much gratitude for that. So thanks, um, thanks to you to be here. And, well, thank you for having me. Like, I, I'm excited. I, this, I, I'm learning to step out of my comfort zone, right? Being on camera yes. is not my favorite thing. I would rather be <laughs> behind the camera in most things, right? Um, but, but I'm getting more comfortable with it. And um, public speaking has helped. I've started public speaking. That that's that's a trip, right? A lot yeah. of things in my life are a trip now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I expect. Um, because this wasn't always my life as we talked about. So you, you know, um, so my story, let's go back to the beginning, right? Yes. Um, from my childhood, I had always felt a sense of responsibility and, um, this inherent kind of, um, presence of just taking care of other people. Right. Yeah. Always taking care of other people the way that I grew up. My my dad had an alcohol problem mm. and there was a lot of codependency and domestic violence in my household. So when I was 12, my mom had another baby. I'm the oldest of four girls and we had three. And then when I was like 12 and a half, my little baby sister was born. And at that time... I used to get up in the middle of the night and take care of her sometimes. And then my parents left and went out of state and left us all, left me in charge hmm. of all kids. And one of their friends' kids at the age of 12 with a newborn baby. And just, <laughs> so I've always taken care of people. And so when I was at the place, right, I had my kids really young, really, really young. And then um, when I had my fourth baby, I was like 23. And I started college when she was mm, two and a half. And I decided that I had wanted to be a nurse. So mm. I went to college to be a nurse while raising the, the kids. And um, that was hard <laughs> right in itself. Oh, yeah. But that's what I knew how to do. I knew how to do that well. Right. So 
fast forward, I'm working as a nurse. I started my career in labor and delivery, which felt very natural to me, Hmm. right? Somewhere in the past life, I was probably, you know, a midwife or something, but it (laughs) it felt very natural to me to be in that environment and um, to be able to witness, right? The the baby taking its first breath and that soul entering and and just, right. It was amazing. Yes. um, But I had gotten hurt at work and um, I had had a patient that was on drugs and a little bit difficult and um, I was hurt really badly. And that was a hard thing for me, Mm -hmm. right? I'd spent money that my kids could have used to be able to do this career, right? And I didn't know who I was outside of taking care of other people. I wasn't Mm. used to taking care of myself. And that injury led to kind of like a domino effect Mm. of other injuries. That So it was first my neck. But I didn't realize that. And they didn't realize that at the time. And um, so I went through different procedures and stuff like that. And it still never really took care of the things. And I really didn't care that it wasn't being corrected. All I wanted to be able to do was go back to work, go back to knowing what I knew how to do. Right. Yes. And so the more I tried, the harder time that I had because it wasn't really the path that I was supposed to be on, but I didn't know that yet. Right. So I started taking, they started prescribing me medication and it was really easy to mask everything, even the feelings that I had built up around all of that with Mm -hmm. so much medicine. And it had started um, with, muscle relaxers, pain medicine, Mm. um, injections, like all different kinds of crazy things, right? Then it ended up being, um, I needed to have surgery. So I was in a neck brace for a year while they were trying to decide, you know, what surgery, what's going to happen. It was my spine that needed to be fused. It started in my neck and then it went all the way down to my lower back. So I had my neck fused first and then, um, and then I tried to go back to work again <laughs> and then my back <laughs> flew out and that led to like really serious problems. Right. I had lost my, my bladder function. I was losing my bowel function. I was told I would never be able to use my bladder again on my own. Mm. Um, it was like hours away from bed, really rare thing that happened, but most of the discs that had happened, like within my neck, it went out into the spinal cord and was compressing the spinal cord. So my back, my Mm. lower back did the same thing. And when it did that, I was like hours away from being paralyzed. Mm. They didn't know if I'd ever walk again. It was, it was hard to retrain all that. And all of that did the emotional aspect of all of it. I suppressed it all, right? I suppressed it all. And the more I suppressed it, the more helpless I felt, the more hopeless I felt. Um, And then I had to focus on it. First, it was retraining to use my bladder again, right? So I wouldn't have to have a catheter for the rest of my life. 
And um, so I did that kind of work, but, but it was still a distraction from dealing with my emotions. And the more medicine I could take, the more numb I became to dealing with what was really inside and not feeling adequate. You know, the kids were still little by this time. Most, I mean, some of them, I think my oldest son was in high school. So he had the miss opportunity probably from his point of view, right. (laughs) Driving me and (laughs) because I couldn't drive. Right. Yes. So here's this 16 year old boy driving my car and it's a stick shift. And I'm like freaked <laughs> out because, right? Like, I'm like, I'm fragile. And he's like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, what are you doing? <laughs> so, we would have some pretty intense conversations on the way, but it was, it was a good time. It's still, we tried to make it as light as possible with them, mm-hmm. but but part of my sadness came from them having to do things that I felt I should be doing that mm. children shouldn't have to do for their parents, you know, to care for them. And my younger daughters helped bathe me and wash my hair or sit with me when I couldn't walk or when I couldn't get out of bed and I cried a lot. For them to see their mom like that was just really hard for me you know, from a point where I was used to being the caretaker and then I was in a position where I couldn't take care of myself necessarily Mm. unless I was on a lot of medication and being able to really start pushing myself. But that ended up doing more damage because I wasn't able to feel the damage that I was doing and then the damage to my heart space, right? Yes. being able to address the emotions that I felt inside and how inadequate I felt and um, everything, right? And then I held on to it. I held on to it, that victim mentality, this is happening to me and I have no control over it and I don't know how to navigate it, right? That was the hardest part. I didn't know how to navigate that emotional Mm -hmm. body. And, and carrying that, I think I, I emotionally bled onto my children, onto my husband, onto my family, mm-hmm. and, right? Because I carried it and I wore it proudly, you know, like I'm hurt. This happened to me. I didn't do anything. I didn't deserve this. Right. You know, but instead of taking it as an opportunity to be able to say, you know, why are you holding on to these emotions? Why do you feel so hopeless? And you know what I mean? It was almost like there was a part of me that was kind of ready to die, Mm. right? I couldn't be the caregiver for other people, then what use was I, right? So Mm. I was like almost ready to give up like really ready to, and I could have very easily, I had the pharmaceutical, you know, advantage of being able, if that was a road that I wanted to take. And I knew that that was always kind of in the back of my mind, right? Whenever Mm. I felt like whenever it 
got to be to the point where I couldn't or didn't want to. Mm -hmm. that, that was sitting there right next to my bed, right? Um, and a lot of them, you know, yes. there, there, there was a nice choice. Would you say you were addicted to those, um, those pharmaceutical? Like, was, was there a part of yourself that was like, kind of okay taking those and like yes absolutely i was okay taking them because it fit my narrative at the time right right i i'm a victim i'm disabled now i'm in pain i need them yeah pain. i have no other choice this right. is this is what i need right now those right yeah. and i never saw at that particular time I didn't see any other way to be able to deal with it, right? It was real easy to be able to pop a pill or put a patch on or, and I mean, we're talking an exorbitant amount of medication, right? I had extended release morphine, instant release morphine. I had flexural, I had somas, I had Valium, I had um, ibuprofen, I had at one point, um, fentanyl patches, right. With the morphine and everything else on top of it. So it is amazing to me that I can even, that I'm still here, <laughs> right. With, with yes. that much narcotics. And, um, because I was in the healthcare industry, I was very comfortable with the whole idea of being prescribed a pill or pills, right. And yes. then, um, and the feeling uh, legitimized by it, right? Yes. Oh, you're in pain. Let's give you more medication. And, and so it, it became part of my identity. Like you said, right. It, I identified very much with it because I wore that wound very proudly. Mm. And, and I don't mean that in a way where I was proud to be in pain, but I, I mean it from the perspective of, I wasn't afraid to show people that I was in pain, right? I let yes. everybody know that I was in pain, usually by a surly demeanor or, uh, right? Not not being pleasant um, yes. all the time. It's like complaining, you know, you know? like, oh, I, yes. oh this, this hurt. Oh my God, yes. you know? <laughs> yes. And if I didn't like some, like, I, <laughs> I mean, it was always... It was easy to be able to say, well, I, I can be a bitch because I feel bitchy inside. You know what I mean? It gave me a, a kind of a permission slip to yes. have on the external the way I felt on the internal, hmm. right? And that kind of perpetuated through um, my kids' going into their teenage years and then um and then my life blew up right i got divorced my sister had passed um unexpectedly right she uh, unexpectedly passed from a very rare form of cancer and we didn't have a lot of time to be from the time of diagnosis until the time she passed to be able to deal with that so after that 
right? I was still in the victim state. All this is happening to me. I've lost my sister now. And I couldn't understand why she had passed and I was still alive because I was the one that was ready to die, right? I was the one that had started to sink so low in my own um, self-pity that I couldn't understand, right, why the roles were reversed to Mm -hmm. me. And so then I started drinking Mm. for about nine months, right? (laughs) I was like really in it, really, really in it. And um, yeah. And so then nobody wanted to be around me, right? Nobody wanted to be around me. My kids didn't want to be around me. I didn't really necessarily want to be around my grandkids because I was emotionally bleeding everywhere on everybody. You know, mm. but then it became more of it wasn't just because I'm hurt and I can't do the things that I used to. They had taken me off work, put me on disability, right? Mm. Told me that it probably never work again. Um, all, all of these things were happening and I could not get a grasp on it. I just, I couldn't make sense of it. I couldn't understand it. And it just felt like I was in this drain and it was just sucking me down. And I didn't have tools to be able to help me navigate that time. So it just spun and spun and spun. Then my dad had passed. And that was kind of even a deeper kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? And so um, I, I just, I sunk so low into all that miracle. Oh. That was like probably the beginning of the dark night of my soul, right? Yes. Where I just, I, but I still couldn't figure out how to find light yet. I couldn't mm-hmm. figure out how to start healing the wounds because I felt like the wounds were being inflicted upon me and I didn't really have, um, I didn't want them, right? Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how to acknowledge them. I didn't know how to navigate any of that. And the self-talk that I had was probably at the worst at that time, right? The words in my head were, Cheryl, you're a stupid, ugly fucking bitch. Hmm. And that's what I told myself. And I like, okay, saying that out loud, (laughs) That's that's a hard thing, right? Saying saying yes. those things out loud, and to other people, and sharing that that self talk that I had, right? But somehow I felt like it was all my fault. Yes, that somehow I had done something that must have been really awful for me to have to have dealt with all that, and I couldn't understand mm-hmm. it. It couldn't make sense. So I embodied that victim mentality very much, you know, Mm. and, um, and it took, it it still took a while. It still took a while. Then, um, I tried to pick up the pieces, right. By saying, okay, so we got remarried and that probably wasn't the best idea at that time because we hadn't healed yet. Right. Mm. We were just trying to put band-aids and, making things a little bit better without dealing with anything, right? Just thinking, okay, we change the location of where we live, not 
the location of what's going on inside, right? Yes. Um, so we went through all that, did that. Things still weren't great. Then, uh, then other things started showing up. The monster kind of got a little bit deeper and things started showing up in my relationship that was a mirror of what I was feeling on the inside. But I didn't recognize that at the time, nor did I have the language to be able to articulate that, right? But um, we had started in a codependent kind of thing. I mean, it was very codependent. I was very codependent from my whole life, but I didn't know that because of the way I'd grown up and the things that I'd seen and you know what I mean? Just like all those kind of things. And then um, when sort of domestic violent issues started showing up in my marriage, that was probably a big thing. And mm. I remember standing in the kitchen and yelling at him one day saying, my life matters, right? But it wasn't him necessarily that I was saying that to. It was me that I was saying that to. But I didn't know how to matter to myself, right? So fast forward a couple more years. This was probably like 2016. I'm still on the medicine. I'm still going for injections in my back. I'm still trying to figure out my life. But my home life was really starting to fall apart. Hmm. And, and the interaction between me and him... I, I didn't like myself. I couldn't like him. And he didn't like me, right? I wasn't necessarily a nice person. Um, I mean, I was kind enough to other people, you know what I mean? But, and if you would have asked me then, I would have said, oh yeah, you know, I'm a great person. But no, I really wasn't because I wasn't great to myself. You know what I mean? I, I, I didn't care about myself. So I didn't really care about other people. Mm -hmm. in, in, in the blunt truth of it, that's really what it boils down to. Right. Yes. So, um, things had gotten to a point where we could not stop hurting each other mm. and whether it was through words or deeds or whatever. And it was always kind of the back and forth, right. The, the tit for tat. And then, um, and then one day I really started asking the universe to see him clearly, right? Because I couldn't see clearly. I couldn't see anything. Clearly. And, um, and that was like probably one of the most profound things because one night we were sitting there watching TV and he changed in front of me. I saw him shift, shift shape in front of me, right? I saw his facial hair grow. I saw his nails grow. I saw the smirk on his smile and it freaked me out, dude. I thought, fuck, I just saw his demon, right? And it, it did. It scared me. I was like, okay, hey, I need to stop asking first of all, because <laughs> I didn't know how to deal with that, right? I didn't know what I had seen. I didn't. And then, and then I froze because I didn't know what to do with that information. So I froze. And then uh, three days later, was probably one of the deepest wounds that I had endured in our relationship. And at that point, that was where the conjunction hit. Mm. And I, I knew I was at a crossroad, right? Where I had to make a choice. I could have chose destruction or I could chose creation. And to articulate those two choices that way at that time, no, I was either going to kill him and kill myself or 
I went to a domestic violence shelter and started to feel safe finally, right? Because it wasn't, I didn't feel safe in my own body. Yeah. I didn't trust myself to take care of myself. I didn't know how to advocate for myself, I, right? I mean, like all of that victim mentality stuff that came along with it and, and waiting for somebody to come to either give you the magical pill, right? That doesn't yes. exist. There is no magical <laughs> pill or save you, right? I'll yes. tell you the secret. And I had to learn to save myself. So I was at the shelter and at first I was just grateful to be alive. Right. But that's how gratitude started. Hmm. And I started practicing gratitude on a daily basis. They gave us a worksheet, right. That was um, 30 days of gratitude. Hmm. And so I did it. I took everything to heart. I went to all of the classes. I stayed and I did the work. I said, well, that, that was me, the beginning of me starting the work, right? But I needed to have, um, I needed to have a guide to help me be able to say, there is a way. Yes. We're gonna throw you the lifeline, but you're gonna have to grab it and paddle your ass you know, and, and I was like, what? Like I have to work, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? Like really. And, uh, and so I did. And then after I got out of the shelter, my, uh, my oldest son and his wife and my youngest daughter and her husband at the time had found a place for me to live. And it was an old folks home. Like, and I know that I'm older than, than some of your guests on there and that that's fine. Right. But I mean, it was like really retirement, but I needed that. I still needed to be able to heal. I knew when I was at the shelter that I needed to stop taking the medicine. I knew that, um, that it was time and I knew that I could do it safely with other people's help, right? But that's one of the problems that I had was asking for help. I didn't know how to ask for help because I thought I needed to do everything on my own, mm -hmm. right? And that was kind of a little too much for me at that time, right? Um, yes. And that was hard, right? So I went to, I had left the shelter by that time um, and barely, right? Like just left it and was staying at my youngest daughter's house and even though I had started decreasing two months prior after having that much medication for so long, I mean, we're talking, this is a 16 year span, yes. you know, time span. Um, it still hit your body and I didn't expect that. Hmm. So the night that I was sleeping on her couch and I start um, really having withdrawal symptoms, right? Like my body is really purging. It's really starting I'm vomiting. I've got diarrhea and oh it's just God. everywhere. She's like, mom, I love you, but I'm taking your ass to a motel. I said, you know what? No problem. Like I get it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I went there, right? And, and I ended up, it, it was hard. It was, that was probably, I think about 10 days of really hard, um things right for about four days i think i lived in the bathtub and oh my um, god oh yeah no it's, it's bad like that, you that's where you see oh. yeah that's where you see like this is this is actual drugs like you 
like yeah, in the movies where you see yes where you see like yeah. heroin people like they're just like yeah. stopping and they're just like purging and purging and it's just like you know they're all over the place and it feels like you went through something like that so yeah I don't know it's just like it did that, metaphorically that was me crawling my way through hell right because yes. it, it is it's a hell like your body it only takes five days. Like they don't tell you that. I, I think that people are more aware now of how fast our body does adapt to things. So now it only takes five days of taking a substance before your body actually starts to integrate with that. Right. And, and um, it starts relying on that. So it wasn't so much like a mental addiction other than I need the medicine to be able to function and to be able yeah. to walk and push myself hard enough and be able to clean and do the things that, that I was still trying to do as an adult and as a parent, but then to be able to, um, to know that when your body gets to that point where it's just like, it's what dope sick, right? That that's what the title yeah. dope sick means. Um, but I didn't know any of that at that time, right? Like your body becomes used to it and the pain of not having it makes it uh, very tempting to be able to say it's so easy to take a pill to make this go away, which is yeah. why I knew I had to not do it. Right. Yeah. Um, but that was fucking hard. That was yeah. hard. hard so how, how did you, how did you do it? Like how, how did, did you do it? Did I you, sat yeah. in that motel room. <laughs> right. right. I sat in that motel room. I sat in the bathtub for about four days just in, in the water, right? Let, let the water go out every time it would either come out one way or another, um, rinse off. My daughter would bring me food, but it had to be food. I had to eat like every two hours. I had to take care of myself differently. And I think that's when I was able to start listening, really listening to my body, right? It's not like the pain went away, but it, that's where I started talking to myself differently and telling myself, it's okay. It's okay that you feel this. It's going to be okay. You're going to live through this. You're going to make it. You're going to survive this. And I started thinking in terms of hours instead of days, right? Mm. Two hours. You can make it two hours. You can, you know, you can do this. And then like, then I started sleeping more soundly as the days went by. It still took and I, I lost and I went down to probably about 95 pounds during that, mm. that time. And that made it harder for my body to be able to have any, um, I, like I had no muscle at all. Yes. Right. So walking was really hard. Um, mm. I, was in a cane. I had been previously, right. I had been in wheelchairs off and on, um, at one point, right about the time my sister had passed. So 2009, I was in a hospital bed for a year in my bedroom because I couldn't walk at all. My spine was so weak. And, um, so I had, right. I had some, um, AIDS, 
to be able to write. I had back braces, I had canes, I had things that I could utilize to help me during that process. But it, this was a different kind of process because I yeah. didn't, I wasn't relying on artificial medication anymore. I had to be the medication <laughs> for me to be able to soothe myself and get past the, oh my God, this sucks and I don't want it anymore. And how can I make it go away? Instead of having that mindset where I was in a place where I just want to escape it and be able to be like my old self again, mm. I knew that this was an opportunity. I knew that at that time, right? This was an opportunity for me to be better. Now I didn't feel better and I certainly didn't look better. <laughs> I looked like a skeleton and I looked like death, but <laughs> I, you know, I'll be, I'll be honest. I did. I looked like death. Um, it was a place for me to be able to, it was like rewriting my story all over again. And that was the chance for me to be able to change my narrative. And mm. instead of Cheryl, you stupid fucking ugly bitch. It was Cheryl. Maybe there is more. Maybe mm. there is a different way, right? Maybe there is a different way. And so after I got out of the motel, um, like I said, I was there for probably about two weeks. Then, um, then I went to the retirement home and I'm on the third floor of this retirement place and they had a cafeteria and there was an elevators because I, I still couldn't walk stairs and stuff like that. Yes. Yeah. Right. And um, so my kids made sure that, that the cafeteria, they served two meals a day. So I would be fed and be able to build back up my strength and take time. They had people coming into your apartment um, to help you clean and, you know, the things that I was having a really hard time with. So I was very blessed in that sense because at that time, I got to spend 12 to 14 hours a day meditating and learning and uh, growing, right? That's where I really started dedicating myself to myself. Yeah, it was and like a retreat center. Before. Yeah. Yes. Like and I fucking loved it, dude. I loved it, right? Like, <laughs> I did. I loved it. It was great to me, you know? I got to go to like, um, crochet classes and all kinds of yeah. stuff. The, the other people there, they were so funny. They were like, why are you here? You know, it's like, they're like, you're not quite old enough yet, you know? And I think I was still, I, at that time I was like 50, either 50 or 52. I think I was 52, 51 turning 52. And, but they had taken me because of the disability and because of all those things. Right. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't even 55 yet. <laughs> and I'm still trying, you know, to figure out where I belong with all these people, but they were really great, you know, and, and I got to learn a lot from sitting at tables and eating with them and learning their life lessons and how they overcame some of the things, right? And, and then also being able to listen to some of the regrets that they have had. Hmm. was a very interesting thing to me because I don't think that I had ever had that opportunity to before other than necessarily my dad, right? Yeah. Being able to talk about some of the regrets. And if we could go back 
what would we change? Now, knowing what I know now, if I could go back, I, I wouldn't necessarily change anything because everything has brought me to the place that I'm at for me to be able to learn who I truly was and the gifts that I possess and yeah. carry, right? But didn't always know. I didn't know that listening to my body and taking care of myself in a different way was really cultivating my intuition. Yeah. You know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't understand any of that. I didn't have that awareness um, that I could intuitively listen to my body and have foresight versus having hindsight, right? Yeah. Um, maybe I shouldn't pick up that 50 pound box because, you know, I, I might not be able <laughs> to be okay with that for a while. You know what I mean? Um, but having foresight versus hindsight is something that helped. And I started cultivating that right based on experiences knowing, well, no, it's not going to make sense to be able to overwork yourself to the point of death hmm. because you don't have any medication to numb the pain, right? Not just the, the physical pain, but the emotional pain that comes with it after you've pushed yourself too hard or done something that you shouldn't have done. And yeah. we all have that, right? We all have that in some way. Just mine was in a very physical way. Okay. So I, I believed in miracles and I knew, but I didn't know for sure yet. Right. Yes. I still had a, a little yeah, bit you more. Knew, yeah. You knew, but you didn't have the proof yet. Yes. Yes. Or the complete abilities, um, in myself, right. Cause right. I still didn't trust myself yet. I still didn't trust my intuition yet. That, that came, when, when I, well, mostly when I was in the apartment with the old people, right. Mm. Where, where I could sit and I started learning about Sofiago frequencies and sound healing mm. and, um, more guided meditations. That's when I really started. So I, I had, um, seen Dr. Joe Disparns and I'm going to butcher his name. I'm not that great with phonetics in this <laughs> lifetime, apparently. Right. This but, um, Yes. <laughs> and, and so I had seen it on YouTube, right? Um, rewire your brain in 21 days. And I'm thinking, you know, well, what the fuck else am I doing for 21 days anyway? You know, so I might as well try it. So I, I did, I started doing some guided meditation. I would do it out there on that third floor where the great thing about those kind of residential homes is that all the old people go to bed at eight o'clock at night, right? So I had the whole upstairs with the sky and sit, being able to sit underneath the stars all to myself. And I loved that, right? I loved that. Nobody being like, okay, this, you know, lady's weird. Like, I don't know what she's doing, but, you know, so I, I would, I would sit out there and light incense or, you know, have some kind of essential oil and then, listen to the guided meditation and I would do it at least once, sometimes two or three times a day, mm -hmm. but every night for sure. And then after like the first week, Marigold, something inside of me 
opened up that had never really opened up before. And that was the amazing part. One, that I was even capable of being able to be in a place where something could open up that profoundly. But that mirror in the sky, something about saying those things and talking to myself in a whole new way opened up and I could start to feel this inner joy, right? Mm. This inner joy. And I remember my daughter came to pick me up and I was hanging out at her house for a little bit. And she was like, mom, you were so happy. It is fucking annoying. Can you stop and just be a little cynical with me right now? And I was like, I don't think I can. Why? If it's being that annoying, like I didn't realize. Right. But it was like, all of a sudden I just, I, I could see things differently. I could see the beauty in the earth instead of the pain and the suffering in the earth. Right. It didn't mean that it didn't still exist, but my perception had shifted yeah. and that was the gateway. Yeah. And after that, I couldn't stop learning, right? My 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 mind had opened up, I, my crown chakra, right? I mean, I didn't know it was my crown chakra at that time necessarily, <laughs> but you know what I mean? My, my mind, it, it took me out of this very limiting belief. And all mm. of a sudden, the creator became so vast to me. Yes. And there was so much out there that I wanted to experience. I wanted to know. I started... Um, learning about Reiki, I started really diving into Eastern medicine mm -hmm. and um, more Eastern philosophies, and then applying that to Western belief systems, right? And how, and I could see what resonated as truth for me yeah. all around. And that really started opening up the door. And that's when I started studying astrology, not because I necessarily wanted to study, study astrology, but because I wanted to know tarot deeper. And I think there was something in the back of my mind because my dad had always taught me, right? Two things. One, don't play with Ouija boards. <laughs> and then, uh, right. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't even know where that came from, but okay. And then um, not to study astrology. And I was like at a place, right, where I could start to talk to my dad from beyond the veil, mm -hmm. right? So I'm trying to, I'm, and I'm like, I really am trying to figure this out. Why did he tell me that? What, what did he know about it that I shouldn't know? And why would he, you know what I mean? So when I started studying astrology, I started with, I think, the um, the mind set of, well, there's got to be a reason that it's not true for my dad to tell me that, right? Mm -hmm. And when I started really seriously studying it, I found out it was true. And I was like, okay, fuck you, dad. Like, <laughs> I don't know why this could have made my life maybe a little bit easier had I had a little bit more foresight growing mm. up and going through some of the hard challenges that I had gone through had I had another tool, mm -hmm. right? So then it was like, oh my God, there's <laughs> all this stuff out there that I was never told or was taught to be afraid of. 
And so that led to other things. But the beauty part of astrology that really started like kind of resonating and touching my soul was that everything that I had been through in my lifetime, one could show up. I can mm -hmm. see it, right? By different transits and things like that, I could see it. But it also helped confirm what my soul knew that there is a compassionate part of me that knows that life does not end with the death of the physical body. So mm. being a nurse, right? We were talking about that, thinking that that was the only avenue to healing. Um, I had ended my career with being a hospice nurse. So I got to start it with seeing and witnessing life being brought into the world. Yeah. And I finished it with being, uh, right. That is such an honored place to be in, to sit and hold the hand of somebody as they pass. Yeah. And nine times out of 10, they see something and I've seen it, right. I've seen angels come that help them pass, passed on loved ones that, that, that come but even I'm talking patients that have been in comas will wake up and raise their arms as their loved ones, their spirit guides, angels are coming to help escort mm -hmm. them as they transition. And so I always believe, right? I'm getting chills. I always Me too. believe, <laughs> right? Yes. I always believed in that. I just didn't realize being a medium was part of that hmm. and being able to step into my mediumship. So I, I started um, after I went through Deborah Silverman's applied astrology school. Then I went to Hay House. I found Hay House, right? Because I, I needed, well, I found Louise Hay while I was healing from the medication and stuff. Hmm. So it's been uh, four and a half years and I, I still take over the counter ibuprofen, right? Not every day, but but I, but I do take it. But I have to listen to my body and pay attention to my body a lot better than I ever did before. I don't take my body for granted. I don't push yeah. it harder than it needs to be pushed. I don't, um, If I listen to it. If I need to rest, I'm okay with resting. I'm okay with that. If I need to take a day off, if I, you know what I mean? I absolutely give myself permission to do all that. Right. Um, which is something I never did before. I would feel guilty. And then that lowers our vibration, right? Guilt and shame and things like that. So I was like, okay. So instead of like shifting all of that, it became the focus of my life, dedicating my life to myself. Right. But that helped somehow be able to, help others. And that started with my family, right? N not all, because not, not all necessarily subscribe to my way of belief and that's okay. They've yeah. got their journey, you know, and, and things will happen for them too. But, um, to be able to see it from, from an outside perspective where I can observe the events that happened mm -hmm. and be honored to witness them, instead of always emotionally reacting to it yeah 
right? Was a yes. huge game shifter, huge game shifter. And that's when I started realizing, you know what? I believe in this shit because I've experienced it. Not because somebody told me to believe in it, because for me, it's absolutely real, right? There's yeah. miracles and magic everywhere all around us. We just have to be willing to be open yeah. to even seeing it. And then when we start really becoming dedicated, because usually if you live long enough, there is a point where the dark night of the soul will come at some point and say, is that really how you want to live? <laughs> you know, do you really want to be stuck in the misery or do you want to feel what it's like to pull yourself out of that hell, right? That, that I created, I created it for myself, right? Yes. Pretty much by myself because <laughs> of my thoughts and my beliefs and being stuck in that, that repetitive loop of I'm not worth anything. Yeah. I, I'm I'm useless. I'm just taking up space on this planet, right? Mm. To feeling empowered and understanding what true empowerment is. It's not an external thing. It's an internal thing. I don't need to go around and say to people, oh, look at me. You know, it's more of me just being able to be me now. Yes. And authentically me, the authentic me believes in magic, believes in tarot, believes in angels and spirit guides. And, and I'm okay with having conversations with beings that are on the other side, just as much as I have conversations with people that, that are still embodied in a human body. Right. Um, but it took a long time for me to be able to be okay with that and not yeah. feel judged by it or, um, to be able to shed those limiting beliefs that I was taught that it was wrong yeah, or evil or um, not of God, whatever. Right. Yes. All of that was a big part of all of the healing work that I had started doing and just allowing myself to really be and sit with that for a little bit, each new thing, right? Each yes. new thing that would come across and be like, oh my God, this resonates so strongly. And then I would sit there and cry and healing tears though, not sad tears anymore, but healing tears and saying, you know what? This is profound. This is mm. big. The shift that I've made in my life, if, if for no other reason, because at this point, my children were grown, right? Um, then for my grandkids to be able to see that we have a choice of yeah. what roles that we take on in this lifetime. And that's, I think, the most empowering thing, right? The greatest gift to me, as I see it, is free will. And that's because there's always a choice. Even when we don't choose, we're still choosing because we're choosing not to choose, right? So <laughs> everything is really a choice. It just really kind of matters how are we getting by and how well do we want to live? Mm -hmm. I want to live to the best of my ability. 
And that's the example that I want to leave for my grandchildren, right? That they can do and be anything that they really want. It takes work. It takes dedication. It takes effort. It's not easy. There is no magic pill. And, you know, um, that journey, learning that in itself is beauty. Right. Yes. yes. I love it. Yeah. That's the yeah, legacy. Amazing. That I want to leave. Everything else, the, the people now that I attract as clients, that's icing. Right. But the, the cake is that I fucking did it. And if I can do it, right. If I can do it, anybody can do it yes. because I was not raised this way. I wasn't, you know, I, I had to find the resources. Um, and then once I really started, the universe just kept bringing more and more and more. And my yeah. learning just kind of expanded and it grew so rapidly and so fast. And I think being a good teacher is part of that is being a good student. Yes. You know? So I had to really um, be dedicated to my learning and my growing before I could ever sit before somebody and feel confident in the advice that I was giving. Mm-hmm. You know yeah, what I mean? I, I would never sit in front of somebody and say, you know, oh, I, I, I can see the victim mentality. And <laughs> how, how do we switch that? If I wasn't in a place where I felt comfortable in giving resources and advice because that wouldn't be right to me. You know what I mean? I would feel like if I was still trapped in that kind of um, victim mentality and I can see it, I can see it even still when I'm still in it. Right. Well, Um, yeah, you went, it probably shows up in your body as well. Like pretty quickly. Right. Because like for me, the victim consciousness is always showing up in my perception is always showing up in the body. So when you feel something, you're getting sick, whatever, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's just like somebody that's knocking at your door telling you, you guys, Hey, just like refocus, Pay attention. come back, right. just come back. Right. You know, maybe you're not like taking straight right now. Maybe you're just like self-fitting or like something like that. And then instead of just like spiraling down that drain, right. You're just like, Oh, my body is telling me something. Let's stop right there and mm-hmm. just like reevaluate what's going on. How am I like showing up? How am I putting myself forward? You know? Right. Right. Like this whole uh, new thing. So I just, Marigold knows, but I'll, I'll tell um, the the little blurb of skin cancer that I've had to deal with this last month and a half. Um, I just had surgery for it like two weeks ago. It was it's more about right because Pluto's retrograding in in Capricorn, and and if you understood my transits, the first time that things really that I really started blowing my life up when I started drinking and. Um, you know, was a drunk slut for a little while and then had the skin cancer and stuff that Pluto was transiting my son because my ego needed to be torn down before I could really start to come. You know what I mean? But anyway, um, so with Pluto retrograding and this little blip shows up this time, it was different. 
right? I didn't go into that. It was like, okay, so so it's a little touch of of skin cancer, and and I can I can deal with that in a way where I'm not emotionally reactive. Mm-hmm. I'm the only thing that I told them that I really wanted was to understand if they were going to cut a hole in my nose, was it one going to look like, like I was trying to gauge it and two, where was the plastic surgeon so that they could fill it. Right. And, and how does that all work? Because nobody had talked to me until the day that they go to cut it. It's like, dude, you're not cutting my face unless I understand what is going on here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're not doing this. Like I will run and, and this, so I'm, I'm in there. Oh my God, Miracle. So I'm in there, I'm in this room with them. Right. And they're all coming in and I'm starting to get nervous, but I had my, my, you know, like 432 frequency, um, healing positive, you know, music that I needed to help. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, and then I asked the angels to come in and, and for the, you know, the surgeon to have the guidance that he needs to have and the steady hand and all that. Right. And all of a sudden, right before they, they get ready to start, the whole room switches, the energy shifts and they notice the music playing from my phone. Right. And the surgeon goes, wow, the knots in my neck just lifted and everything. I said, good. That means the angels are doing what I asked them to do. He <laughs> looks at me like, all right, this lady's a little bit, but I knew <laughs> by him saying that, right. That you don't want somebody cutting into your face when they've got <laughs> knots in their neck and stuff. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't need that little muscle spasm to jerk while you're cutting my face, dude. <laughs> Right. So I, I knew that he was saying and, and I could feel the energy shift in the room and everybody had commented. And then afterwards, that was still, you know, a topic, a little bit of topic of a conversation about what it is to be, a you know, to really understand healing at an mm-hmm. emotional level first. When, when our thoughts and our emotions meet the actions that we want to co-create. That's yes conscious manifestation, right? Because we're always manifesting whether we realize it or not. I was mm-hmm. just attached to manifesting misery because that's what I was living in. Yes. Right. That's what I was feeling. That's what my thoughts were. So that's what what the reality was. When I started shifting that and it all started with gratitude, right? It all started with gratitude. That's where it all started. Um, and then being dedicated to myself, I'm probably repeating and I, I apologize for that, but, um, no, that's okay. I mean, I love the story you're telling because, um, as you said a little earlier, you're older than my first mm-hmm. guest. Mm-hmm. And, and that's also one of the reasons I wanted to have you on this podcast, because I want to showcase that, you know, it doesn't matter how old you are. You can be like freaking five-year-old. Like I was six when mm-hmm. all that kind of thing happened to me. And, and you know, you were like more than you're like 40, 50. It doesn't matter. Like I have people that's going to come in. They're going to come in my podcast and they're even older. You know, it doesn't matter. And and that's yeah. what I love about it. You know, it's it's... We're all different. We all have something to bring to the table. And yes. the way you're 
telling your story is gonna speak to a kind of people and mm -hmm. the way Alicia uh, told her story right will bring other kind of people and that's how we create that revolution by being Absolutely. authentic and like bringing more people like we're all saying the same thing in different ways it, right because the way i say it might is going to resonate with some people but not everyone exactly right? and that's okay yes that's okay right yes i i even if it just touches one person and inspires one person to be able to find the inner strength within them to just make that first shift right that yeah. first shift that's the powerful shift everything else doesn't mean it's always easy right doesn't mean it's always no. easy but everything else will start to align but it's having the strength and the courage to make that first shift to take a chance on yourself in a different way. Yeah. But things can be different, right? It's finding the resources, finding the tools, finding the, the inspiration, finding the teachers, finding the leaders, finding the people that align with that so that we can grow. Because when, when I'm helping someone else through their stuff, I'm still learning and growing through that yeah. as well. And that's a beautiful yeah, thing. Yeah. Right. right? For me. Yes. So we're always, yeah. The minute we open up, I feel like we're like the downloads are just going to come in, you know, yes. and they're going to yes. come at the right time and we're always evolving. And I feel like it's, it's important to know that because you can get overwhelmed when it first starts especially yes. right now where we can see all kinds of people already like living their, uh, their aligned life. And then you're like, Holy crap, I'm not living that life. Shit. Right. You know what? Like I need to be like there, you know, and then yeah. I'm just like right here and, and you can feel pressure, but you just gotta be keeping being open. Yes. Because everything you need to know is going to come. And, and I love your journey because it's, it is long. It is a long journey. Yes. You've been through so much and like little step by little step, you know, mm -hmm. the, the knowledge is coming on and then you're, you're there right now. And I would love to see pictures of yourself like from before, like how you look. Oh, okay. That's good. And how okay. you look right now, because you look magnificent. Like oh, when I saw so you first you. today, I was like, girl, yes, you know, you look good. <laughs> and and I would love to see that old Cheryl that must okay. have looked, you know, not okay. that you weren't that beautiful. Warrant? You were telling yourself you were right? an ugly, yeah, you could see it. You could see bitch. the pain on my face. You could right? see And I took it everywhere I went, right? I yeah, took it that's everywhere your makeup. I went. And, 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 and I, like I said, I wore it proudly, right? Yes. I was not ashamed of the pain because the pain gave me the reason to escape from my own emotions, my own thoughts, my own reality by taking the pills and right. Becoming the patient sort of, instead of the caregiver, because I wasn't caring for myself. Yeah in the way 
that was nurturing to me. Yes. I was hurting myself, even though I was still doing it in the ramifications of, right, the legal way they were prescribed, but still, it was still It's the same thing. It's coming Mm -hmm. from the same, like, I don't have power. And so I give my power to something else, whatever it's like. Yes, whether it's like codependency or alcoholism or like pharmaceutical or freaking weed or like, you know, it doesn't matter what right. you're it giving your power to. And, right. and like you're just you just have to be aware that you're actually doing that in the yes. moment. It doesn't matter, right. you know, to what you're giving your power to. Right. And it also helps me like have compassion, right? Because there's still things that currently that I, you know, will work on a little bit at a time, right? Old, old habits that I've carried over. Soda, you know, coffee, cigarettes, um, right. That, that I still work on And, and that's okay. Right. Having compassion for that, because I know that I have the power and I know that I have the choice. And that's the difference. Right. Where before I I didn't feel powerful. I didn't recognize that. I felt very um, bound and chained to. Right. What somebody else was telling me that I needed to be doing, you know, I, I mean, seriously, the pain industry, that is a, when you have a patient who has legitimate pain, right, that they can document because they have, you know, MRIs and all that kind of stuff. Then they start pushing and pushing you into programs and pushing mm. you into injections and this and that and everything else. It became like I was their dollar signs, right? Yes. For them to be able to and build. They kind of have the... They kind of have yes. the authority as well, you know, like yes. it's, yeah. Yeah. We can, we can so sometimes feel thing. very, yeah, feel very like disempowered in the yes. medical system and thinking it that was. we don't know. It was know. very disempowering for me. Even as a nurse, I didn't know how to yeah. advocate for myself. Yeah, that's, you know that's, I didn't. yeah. That's the amazing part. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because even, yeah, like, even as a nurse, I mean, I mean you were working into right. that stuff. Them, into right? that thing. And I will tell you, I will tell you that um, being a patient on the patient end, right? I had had nurses hmm. that uh, one in particular, when I was in the hospital for another procedure and um, I had had a surgery on, I don't know, I can't remember, but I was in the hospital And after it was like a three day thing, my hysterectomy Mm. and um, because of the medication that I was taking, right, that I was prescribed, I had asked for my medicine after surgery. I had gotten one dose. The next time when I hit the button again, they came in and said, "Um, no, it's too soon. You have to wait until tomorrow morning. And my husband was there. Right. So he was like, oh, okay, maybe I wasn't there when they gave it to her. I don't really know what's happening, but he stayed with me. So he mm-hmm. was 
aware that during the night, nobody had come in. So in the morning, when the new nurse had come in, um, I had asked her and she came back and said, well, no, you can't have any. They just brought it to you half an hour ago. And my husband said, no, they did not. Nobody has been in this room. So then I'm on the phone with the director of nursing saying, okay, so I know this is a problem. And I know she was taking my pills because they can do right. They do that. And, and it's hard to be in that position, but hmm. to be in that position where I can say, uh -uh, I'm calling bullshit because that's a problem. Hmm. And you know, it's a problem in this industry to be used so much, right. As, as, Oh, we're going to, you know, we're, we're going to sign you up for all these procedures that one, I probably didn't need because insurance wise, I fell into that category so they can bill for it. Mm -hmm. And then to have, right. To be in a place where you're supposed to be getting healing and they're supposed to be caring for you and having somebody steal your medication on top of that is a whole different thing. So that's when I think the awareness really kind of started that, you know what, now I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? It attracts the wrong people. It, it makes, you know, like I felt very much even more of a victim mm -hmm. because of that people wanting what you had, but not having a reason for them to be prescribed it. Right. So yes, feeling and, and Mm, it's it's just, like yeah. when, when you're in that that mentality of like the victim consciousness, you're it's so disempowering and you're always like attracting more mm -hmm. of those kind of experience that keeps you in that kind of loop. And yes. and you we just need to that one experience, like you said, that one first shift to just like open yourself up and and just look at the world a different way and realizing right. how powerful you are whether it's like in that victim consciousness or in empowering yourself you're powerful both way it's just a matter of your your choice like i love choose, that yeah so and if you choose the victim consciousness exactly. you're going to be powerful and you're going to attract all kinds of bullshit all kinds of yes to, I agree. To, to just prove your, to yourself that you are a victim. And if you right. think you're powerful and you're in control of your life, you're going to attract all kinds of experiences and people that are going to show to you that you're amazing, powerful. You got it all like not figure it out, but you're like you're you're doing it right. You right. know, like you're not right. that victim. You're like that warrior now. You know, you're like you can't take you can take it on, you know, like it, it's all right. You don't have to just always identify with this. You can also just like not choose it. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Oh, I love that, that you said that, right? We, we cannot choose it. We can choose to not choose that belief about ourselves anymore. And yeah. that's, that's what's so right. Shifting that narrative, that story that we tell ourselves that we're stuck and that there's nothing we can do about it. Yeah, It just takes that one tiny shift to be able to start the momentum of inspiration and passion in a new direction. Yeah. And that's, right, that's the embodiment of wanting to start walking in sovereignty. 
in in our own empowerment, in our authenticity that says, you know what, I don't have to buy into someone else's narrative of who I am and take that on as an identity for myself any longer. I can shed all of that and underneath all those layers, find out who the real me is. And for me, it took me over 50 fucking years to be able to do it, right? So my goal is just to be able to help people on their journey a little sooner and be able to see the magic within them, right? Their, Their own divinity, their own sovereignty, and where they feel stuck and joyless in areas of our life, because we all have them, right? We all have areas where we feel a little bit more stuck than in other areas to be able to start releasing some of that so that it can all rise up and feel more incongruent with their mind, their heart and their actions as they take those inspirational steps forward and start consciously co-creating is a beautiful thing to be able to see in a very honored place for me to be able to be in the position like who would have thought that me (laughs) that i right that i can help (laughs) guide other people to help find it right just by saying you know what these are some of the tools that i've utilized this is some of the things that i've come across these are some of the great teachers that I've been able to learn from and grow with. And, you know, just to be able to guide, there's so many things. That's why the work you're doing is so important. And I just want to say thank you so much Aww. for the opportunity <laughs> to be able to talk to you. I, I could talk about this stuff all day long, but <laughs> no, <laughs> right? like, I, now I'm such a spiritual nerd that pretty much they, it, it, right. I <laughs> like, I, I do. I, I read about it. You know, I listen to it on the music is such a big part of me. Um, mm. Just all, you know, all of it all. And, and to be able to really share. So I will tell you, oh my gosh, last weekend I did my first group read, mediumship reading. And there, this year is a lot of, like a lot of firsts, right? Really stepping out of the comfort zone and stretching, but it was such a beautiful thing. Miracle. That's amazing. Such a beautiful thing to be able to do. And I'm really proud of myself for being able to do that. So, right. So I have a little bit of compassion for myself when, when I'm not um, always on camera, you know, there, there's a lot of other things going on that I am doing and stepping out into and really um, embracing for myself, but also mm. to help inspire, you know, other people. Yes. But whatever gifts and talents that you have, right, to not let that fear hold you back into yes. a place where you feel stuck is it is a beautiful thing. And yeah, uh, we all it's always like a matter of coming back to where is your fear and to be courageous right. is not to not have that fear, but to just like be there for that fear and just like keep on going. And, and as you keep on going, that's where like you keep opening up to all kinds of like wonderful stuff that you would not imagine that is all like, you cannot even imagine what's going to be on the other side of that door because you're you're that when you're in that fear state of mind, you're like, I feel like 
yeah, you're just stuck in there and, and you cannot just open up. And then when you do that first shift and stuff just start to, I don't know, unravel and it's just mm -hmm. so beautiful. Right? Oh, right. yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Your story is amazing. I am and as so I said honored. in the beginning, like you can, like people can reach out to you because you're wonderful. And I feel like uh, you can help so many people with your story and with your gift. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you are amazing, sweetheart. Such a bright light. And I just want to tell you how honored I am mm. to know you and to be able to share this with you, right? Oh, thank you. <laughs> you're doing so great. Like, keep Amazing. going. Keep All going. Right. <laughs> I will. <laughs> Good. It was such a joy talking with Cheryl this week. And I just wanted to tell you guys some of my takeaways from this episode. So first one, so, so important. Don't ever suppress your emotion. This is very, very important in life for everyone. Uh, the second one would be to... Learn how to feel safe in your own body. Like this is also so, so important uh, so that you can actually learn to trust yourself, right? So you got to learn how to feel safe within yourself. Um, another takeaway that I have for this episode is to learn how to listen to our own body and to take care of ourselves, you know, and by doing this, we can actually cultivate our intuition, which is... Um, a pillar in our lives when we can actually trust our own, our, our own intuition like um, life gets so much easier and another one that is, that is so so cool is the power of meditation because um, as you can hear in Cheryl's story and in so many other stories as well when we start meditating the shift in our perspective is actually healing ourselves you know and we can we have so much power and we don't really understand how we have that much power and as much power as we have to destroy ourselves we have the same amount of power to heal ourselves and so the meditation it's just the it's a very perfect tool to to achieve that and so, so these are my takes takeaway from uh, from this week's um, podcast. So I hope you enjoyed it, and don't forget to join if you're a mother and you want to join that workshop that I'm doing on November 27th. Uh, please reach out to me. I'll be gladly answering all your your questions. Can't wait to see you there, and see you in the next episode. Ciao.